You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to review Trading Places, which came out in 1983 and was directed by John Landis. I had the most absurd nightmare. I was poor and no one liked me. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy are trading places. Help! Help! Anna wants your bag, man. Help! 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 I'll bet that that man could run our company as well as your young Winthorpe. Are we talking about a wager, Randolph? Is there a problem, officer? Here we are. William, take off your clothes. You are making a career decision here. Take off your clothes. Did you hear what this man said to me? I have witnesses. This man is physically threatening me. Hey, Randy, Morty, this is nice. I like this. Freeze, slimeball. Moi? Put that gun away at once, Winthorpe. You lost your mind. Do you have any better ideas? Yeah, you know, it occurs to me that the best way you hurt rich people is by turning them into poor people. Trading Places. Some very funny business. It stars Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Ralph Bellamy, Don Amici, Denham Elliott, and Paul Gleason. The genre would be social comedy. In the pantheon of great Eddie comedies, this might be my personal favorite. From a moment early on when his Billy Ray Valentine feigns getting his legs in sight back when he's caught by two Philly cops. I can see! I can see! I have, le- I can- I have legs! I have legs! Oh, shit! Look at this! Man! I can walk! Jesus! Praise Jesus! Uh, I appreciate this. Oh, this is beautiful. I can't believe it. Thank you. I just don't know what to do with Glory be to God. Praise Jesus. Look at me. This is too much. I, I can't believe it. Ah, you're beautiful. This is, I can't thank you. First Moses, now this. God, Jesus. Oh, thank you. Look at me. What, what? I'm so happy. Oh, God. Look at me. This is too much. What a happy day. What a happy day. Towards the ending moments when he's on the commodities exchange along his partner in crime at the time, Dan Aykroyd, selling orders to a swarm of traders, gleefully pantomiming that he's picking them one by one with his hands, Eddie is just on and he's nearly batting a thousand. From his famous laugh to the double takes to those wry glances at the camera to his desperate pleas while faking karate, Eddie is just firing on all cylinders with all types of comedy, yet always in service to the story. And it's a damn clever story. Somewhat dated, but still kind of relevant. It's about class differences and racial differences that manages to maintain a breezy tone despite some sharper edges that come to the surface as the story progresses. It all revolves around a ridiculous bet made between two absurdly rich brothers living just outside Philadelphia, the Dukes, Randolph and Mortimer, played by the late great Ralph Bellamy and the late great Don Amici, both of whom deliver performances which are just sharp, biting, and pretty satirical. Are we talking about a wager, Randolph? 
I suppose you think Winthrop, say if he were to lose his job, would resort to holding up people on the streets? No, I don't think just losing his job would be enough for Winthrop. I think we'd have to keep a little more misfortune on those narrow shoulders. If he lost his job and his home and his fiance and his friends, if he were somehow disgraced and arrested by the police and thrown in jail even, Yes, I'm sure he'd take the crime like a fish to water. You'd have to put him in the wrong surroundings, of course, with the worst sort of people. I mean, real scum, Randall. These are two older men of industry who have so much wealth, are so bored with their lives, and are just so cheap that they have decided to settle a long-running argument between them regarding the old discussion of nature versus nurture by betting one dollar on what will happen when they conspire to switch the lives of two individuals with completely different backgrounds and living in completely different social strata. They choose two guinea pigs, a wealthy young executive of theirs, who's Winthrop, played by Aykroyd, and a poor individual, Valentine, played by Murphy, who they just witnessed being arrested by local police for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time, unfortunately. Now, to be fair to the Dukes, as much as the movie makes a point of showing how cheap they are, It had to cost a pretty penny to pull off all the machinations that they do to literally switch the lives of these two guys, I think. Maybe they're just so powerful that they were owed a bunch of favors. The movie never makes that clear, which is fine. What matters is how well they succeed in twisting both the lives of Valentine and Winthrop to the point where one becomes increasingly desperate, guess which one, and starts resorting to planting drugs and holding folks at gunpoint, it gets a bit hairy. Randolph! Mortimer! Come in here quickly, I finally caught him. Who are you? I've caught him red-handed. Winthorpe, is that you? I'm making a citizen's arrest. This man is a drug dealer. Look, look here in his office drawer. He's got all the bad drugs here. Marijuana joints, pills, quaalude, valium, yellow ones, red ones, cocaine grinder, drug needles. He's the pusher, not me. Really, I just came in and caught this man planting this stuff in my desk. It's obviously some primitive attempt to try to frame me. Frame you? Boy, if that isn't the pot calling the kettle black! And that does result in some darker moments late in the story. One involving a racial epithet and the other involving a suicide attempt. But they're both handled so deftly by Murphy and Aykroyd that they help raise the stakes while still maintaining the comedy. This is also one of Aykroyd's best for sure. I'm not sure what kind of a feat mid-Atlantic accent he's using to portray the upper-crust Louis Winthrop III, but it really nails just how disconnected this guy was before the rug is pulled out from under him. He was wearing my Harvard tie. Can you believe it? My Harvard tie. Like, oh, sure, he went to Harvard. And you've also got a young, sometimes topless, Jamie Lee Curtis playing her hooker with a heart of gold with some wry humor and dignity, despite one moment of gratuitous nudity. You also have the late Paul Gleason, who spent the 80s playing very entertaining jerks, including his vice principal in The Breakfast Club, probably playing his best entertaining jerk as Clarence Beeks. I particularly love the moment when he's on a payphone and there's a woman waiting right nearby and he just tells her to F off. Proceeding according to plan. I anticipate penetration and acquisition at 2100 hours tomorrow. Hold on. Fuck off. And of course, we have the late great Bellamy and Amici just chewing the scenery as the villainous Duke brothers. 
This movie is just a true comedy gem with so much to say and with such a light touch, it never feels like it's banging you over the head with some genuinely biting social commentary. And it remains one of the more underrated holiday movies, as the whole story pretty much takes us from around Thanksgiving all the way through New Year's Day when our protagonists take their stand on the commodities exchange. And Christmas does look pretty lovely in Philadelphia. And that brings me to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. Every, and I mean every raucous comedy from this era, has to feature at least one scene where we watch one of our main protagonists attend or throw a party which quickly gets out of control. And on this front, Trading Places does not disappoint. Upon his first night of being a newly wealthy man, living comfortably in a nice swanky brownstone in Philly, Valentine, Eddie's, Eddie Murphy's character, decides to celebrate by visiting his favorite local bar. Coming out of his limousine, wearing a sharp suit no less, and showing off his new status to his friends. Of course, he ends up inviting them back to his place for some cocktails. And of course, his friends tell their friends, and those friends tell their friends, well, you see where this is going. Needless to say, his assigned butler, Coleman, who's played with warmth and wit by Denham Elliott, gets quite busy serving everybody hors d'oeuvres, folks start busting out the cigarettes and the weed, guests start disrobing, and you know that shit has gotten real when Billy Ray starts scolding his guests for not using coasters. Well, the catchy song playing overhead during all of this insanity happens to be the 1982 hit funk single, Do You Want a Funk, by Patrick Cowley featuring Sylvester. Now, who is Patrick Cowley, you ask? Well, Cowley was an American disco and dance music composer who was considered one of the pioneers of electronic dance music in the 80s, who had a share of other disco hits, which he would produce and compose for artists like Donna Summer. And sadly, he died in 1982, just a year before this movie, actually, at the age of 32 due to complications from contracting HIV. This was the very early days of the AIDS epidemic. So his career was cut short due to tragedy, but his legacy lived on as the subgenre of dance music, which he was credited as creating. It was called High NRG. That's what they called it. It ended up being the music template for some huge acts who rose up that decade, including New Order and the Pet Shop Boys. And that high energy disco sound permeates through this song, which would end up being one of his biggest hits. It's a fun song, and growing up during the 80s, I can attest to also hearing this at many a bar mitzvah or wedding. It also provides quite the fun backdrop for this particular scene. And RIP to Patrick Cowley. Thanks for bringing the funk. That brings me to the next category, which would be Wasted Talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Jamie Lee Curtis is pretty winning and funny throughout this film, but this being the early 80s, she's still mostly relegated to a love interest role. 
Now, she certainly makes the most of her character named Ophelia, and at the very least, she brings a brutal honesty up front in her interactions with Aykroyd's newly poor Winthrop. She also has some fun during the train climax pretending to be someone from Sweden. And let me see now, you would be from uh, Austria, am I right? No, I am Inga from Sweden. Sweden? But you're wearing lederhosen. Yeah, for sure, from Sweden. Please do help me with my rucksack. If I'm quibbling, I would have liked for her character to have a bit more agency. It feels like a foregone conclusion that her character will fall for Ackroyd's, just by virtue of him staying with her. It just didn't have to be that way. But this was the 80s. That brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scener moment that best describes this movie. My personal choice for this category is probably one of the best examples of a character breaking the fourth wall with the audience that I can recall. It's so simple, quick, and quiet, but it just kills. Basically, just to set the scene, this is the first day at his new job with Duke and Duke for Eddie's Billy Ray. He is sitting with both Duke brothers, who are in the process of condescendingly explaining to him what their investment firm actually does. They explain the process of being commodities brokers, with the visual aids on the table of orange juice, coffee, and bacon, and bread, each on their own separate plate. And when Bellamy's Randolph runs through what each commodity is used for, he specifies the use for bacon. As Billy Ray, as if Billy Ray had no idea what bacon would be used for. And when Randolph provides his example, Eddie simply looks at the camera momentarily with a priceless look as if to say, really? Obviously, there's no way to do this moment justice via podcast, even playing an audio clip. But it is just a sublime moment of physical comedy on Murphy's part. And that is your trailer moment. We are commodities brokers, William. Now, what are commodities? Commodities are agricultural products, like coffee that you had for breakfast, wheat, which is used to make bread, pork bellies, which is used to make bacon, which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. And that brings me to the final category. That would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. MVP, it's got to be. It's Eddie and Dan just bringing the heat full on as Valentine and Winthrop. It's strange, but I remember them actually having more scenes together. But they really don't for most of the film's runtime. And yet both of their performances are just so spot on and naturally linked to each other's actions that in retrospect, this does feel like sort of a buddy comedy. Once we see them together in that third act, plotting to take down the Dukes through the commodities market, it just feels so natural. Especially during that train sequence, where they're just bouncing off of each other with these ridiculous get-ups as foreign exchange students. By this point in 83, they were both recent alums of Saturday Night Live. And you could just see that rapid-fire talent just coming through perfectly in these scenes. I certainly hope there's enough space on the train for me. Nenge! Nenge Yomboko from Cameroon. Do you remember me? It's Lionel Joseph. Lionel! From the African Education Conference, right? Yes, Simon. I was director of cultural events at the Haile Selassie Pavilion. I remember the pavilion. We had big fun there. Bukwili, bukwili, bukwili. Bukwili, bukwili, bukwili. Training places clearly caught both comedians on the rise as the next year, in 1984, we would see Eddie starring in Beverly Hills Cop 
and Dan Aykroyd co-starring in Ghostbusters, two films which ended up actually being the highest grossing comedies of the 1980s. It just remains such a joy to watch these guys really work towards crafting characters who initially come off kind of as jerks and yet raise our sympathies throughout the film. Both of them go through genuine arcs and yet both remain pretty funny throughout. It's actually quite impressive. As a result, Murphy and Aykroyd are my co-MVPs. My rating for Trading Places would be five stars out of five. As I have already said, everyone's just bringing their A-game, even when playing the material mostly straight. And director John Landis just pulls it all together, resulting in one of the best comedies of the 1980s. And if you're looking for Trading Places, it is currently streaming on Stars. And that ends another opportunistic review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.